0: This episode of Light Source is brought to you by Squarespace.com. For fast, easy publishing of a professional website, check out photographers.squarespace.com slash ls. And when you sign up, use the promo code LS1 to receive a 10%
1: discount. Hi, this is David Tejada from Small Strobes Big Results, and you're listening to Light.
2: episode 71 of light source, the official podcast of studiolighting.net website that introduces photographers to portrait and studio
0: lighting equipment and techniques. I'm Bill Crawford Publisher. And I'm Ed hidden exclusive photographer with iStockVoter.com. On well, this episode, we are going to bring back one of our guests from one of the very early shows, probably episode nine or so, David Tejada. David is a commercial photographer. He does a lot of location work. And back in the day, he was bringing his strobes along with him on shoots and using the Nikon creative lighting system to supplement. And it seems like he's gone the way of David Hobby and John McNally. And he's kind of embraced the little creative lighting system by Nikon and it seems to dominate the majority of his work these days.
2: Yeah. It was really interesting to get in touch with David
0: and hear from him and see how his approach has kind of shifted. Yeah, it was good to hear from him, even though he was in our hometown and he didn't call us, but, you know, we (laughs) do not fault him too bad for that. (laughs) It was really good hearing David again, and he has some really good information, and uh, you guys can follow along on his website at TejadaFoto.com. Before we do that, we have some announcements of stuff that has come out, and, Bill, since you're in the Nikon camp. Yeah, it was kind of an exciting week for Nikon fans because
2: the D90 was announced. Also known as Bill's new camera. (laughs) Right? Which I think is going to be really exciting. It's got a sensor that's based on the D300. It's a 12.3 megapixel sensor. But the most exciting thing, and I guess the most unique thing, is that it can record
0: HD video. That's really cool. It I mean, is. If I was an Nikon shooter, it would be in my bag, regardless if I had D3, D300, D700, whatever those numbers are on that side of the fence. Right. Um, it's so cool that it would be my backup camera, no question about it. I mean, the price range is so great that it's just unbelievable that they have all those features and that kind of quality and that price range of a camera. The, the price of this thing is it's 999 MSRP,
2: so very, very affordable, and I think it's going to get a lot of people who are looking at some of the lower-end pro camera buy- to to consider this as an option.
0: And I'd be shocked if I didn't see a bunch of pros buying these as, as backups right. to even use as, as video. Like Chase Jarvis on his blog, he, him and his crew got a bunch of them to test out pre-release and it was cool seeing them going uh, throughout Seattle and stuff with the taped up bodies with the right. logos and everything all covered up with Gaffer's tape and going out incognito. But I'd, I'd love to know if they ran into a photographer on the street and wondered why they were walking along with their digital SLR like it was a video like camera. Like it was a video camera. Because that was my first I saw them at the market and it's like they're doing like this really cool stuff with the video and I'm sitting there I'm going if I was a shooter and I saw them walking down the street like that I'm like what the heck are you <laughs> doing <laughs> right. but- yeah
2: they did a really good job putting the video together and most of the video in their footage was from the D90 according to Chase so that's pretty exciting because you can imagine the shallow depth of field you could get with some of the lenses and having video with a fisheye lens attached to your camera I mean that that can really open up some creative
0: possibilities I think or even if you had like a one. To 300 or 200 to 400 millimeter F28 sure. lens in your bag already. No I mean, doubt. just all that stuff that you have sitting at your disposal <laughs> right. that you could just stick on that thing and shoot video behind the scenes or just the possibilities are just very, very cool with that. So I'm excited to see what comes out of this camera because that means that Canon's going to reply to it. They have to. <laughs> right. So I'm definitely keeping my ears open and hoping that something cool comes down the pike on my side of the camp.
2: Yeah, well, Canon did announce a couple of new bodies. This month, also. What were the two that were
0: rumored at least? If that... I saw a rumor mill for a 5D Mark II, okay, right. which I'm kind of skeptical about because it said something like 21 megapixel weather seal body right. with HD video. It sounded a little too good to be true. Okay, but the 50D was announced. The 50D was announced, and sites like D P Review have samples already from their pre-release version. Okay. Uh, originally, they had said it was a production camera, but it's actually a pre-release, so they, you know, it's, they consider them as beta sort of thing. Gotcha. I mean, they look good. They look pretty cool. I don't really know enough about the specs of the camera, because I still love mine, and I'm not shopping. Right. <laughs> so I'm avoiding them at all costs. Understandable. But yeah, that's pretty much the big news of things that are uh, going out. Oh, one thing we didn't talk about earlier kind of along the enthusiast level there's a new photoshop elements that was announced
2: okay so that's
0: kind of cool the photoshop and premiere elements wow and part of the package that's coming around this time is they have a it's an online storage sharing membership that's included along with it so it's it's not photoshop express It's not Photoshop Express, it's a Photoshop, I believe it was called Photoshop.com. Nice. We're we're in the studio tonight, so we don't actually have an internet connection. Bill and I were actually doing a shoot together, doing some cool night photography, and uh, decided to do our intro face-to-face for a change. So I don't have the exact details, but we'll make sure that we get them in the show notes. All that stuff's out on Adobe.com as well. Sounds
2: great. Yeah, shooting tonight was interesting. We had all of our gear out in the middle of the street. I was surprised to see how some of the shots that you were taking with the Alien Bee's setup actually looked like a daytime (laughs)
0: <laughs> Which is kind of <laughs> odd because it's like, what, 11.30 right. at night right about now? <laughs> yeah, we kind of set them up, and I was hoping to get some of that cool, moody, alley-type look, and it's, it's looking more like this very bright, consumer i I'm like, where did all that light come from?
2: Yeah, it'll be interesting. We'll try to get some photos up to go along with the show so people can check out what we're talking about. Yeah, I can't
0: imagine I'm not going to go home and, and look at something later. Right. The because I'm, I'm pretty excited about some of the stuff that we got.
2: Yeah, absolutely. you got to love that.
0: Yeah, cool. Well, I believe that's about... All that we have for news, I I would like to thank some of the photographers who have been on the show in the past who have been showing up briefly in the Flickr forums where people have been making comments about some of the past guests and uh, their Google alerts have been going off and they've been jumping in on the conversation. So uh, thanks to Michael Greco and Tim Tatter who jumped in on their conversations that were going on and kind of like answered some of the questions that people were speculating about. So that was really cool to see.
2: That is very cool. It's great to know that those guys are willing to share on an ongoing basis. So
0: yeah so thanks guys well speaking of sharing we have david tejada up next and he's going to share some of his techniques in small strobe lighting and talking a little bit more about some of the stuff he's been doing we are in the light source and we have with us this evening a return guest from like february of 06 we have with us david tejada david is a corporate photographer does a lot of annual report photography travels all over the place and he has talked to us before about using the nikon creative lighting system and he has a small strobe workshop coming up and we'll talk a little bit more about that later but uh david thanks for coming back on the show
1: hi good evening guys nice to visit with you again
0: so it's been since february of 06 uh since we've spoken with you what have you been up to in the past couple years?
1: Oh boy, uh, the <laughs> list is very long. Well, obviously I started a blog and I think when I first spoke with you, I didn't have a blog, but like a lot of photographers today, I started a blog and been blogging for quite some time. And it's been wonderful having that. I've also been doing a lot of videos, posting them up at YouTube and including those in my blog post, take people on assignment with me and show them the, the work that I'm doing, various different types of shots, whether it's a uh, location, industrial work or in office type corporate Portraits and things like that. It's been a lot of fun and been traveling quite a bit and has very interesting jobs.
0: Real quickly, for people that want to follow along at home, they can check it out at TejadaPhoto.com. It's T E J A D A photo.com. That's and correct. in the menu on the right side, there's a link for the blog, and then I'll take you over to the blog spot page.
1: That's correct. And also on the top of that page, you'll notice, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, I'm sure, I've started lighting workshops called All Strobe Big Results. And they're lighting workshops. They're one day long. I've been conducting those here in Denver, and I'm actually taking them on the road now. So I've got several other dates that I'd love to chat with you about.
2: Absolutely. Before we talk about some of the educational stuff that you're doing, David, you just got back from a really interesting trip. I've been following your blog for a while, and uh, I was wondering if you wanted to tell us about your trip to the Arctic.
1: Yes, that was really, really interesting. That job came to me through a past client. I received a phone call from a young lady that worked at exploration company, a drilling exploration company. Actually, it's a mining company. They, they deal in the base metals. And the president of the company used to work at a, another company some time ago that I did about three years' worth of work for. He had changed his position, started up with a new company, remembered my work, and had his assistant call me and asked me if I would do some work for his new company. This was great. This was way up in the Hudson Bay near... I had to fly into a town called Renkin and then take a Twin Otter flight another hour or so northwest of Renton, which would put you probably, uh, I don't know, on the map, a little bit higher up than the southern tip of Greenland, if you were to draw a line across it. So it was in the Canadian Arctic. As a matter of fact, they filmed that Ice Roads episode on the Discovery Channel up in the woods. You know, when a tundra freezes over and they have no roads up there well, these trucks drive up across the tundra on the frozen roads, they actually film up in that particular area. But I went up there for about four days shooting some drilling that the company was doing. They had about two drill rigs that are slung. Everything had to be moved by helicopter, including myself. (laughs) No roads up there whatsoever. So when I arrived on a landing strip on the small island, a helicopter came to pick us up. And then uh, at the base camp, where there are about uh, 50 employees, throughout the day I would be transported by helicopter to either one of two drill rigs and various other exploration type of sites where geology was taking place or surveying crews were working and did some photography for three days up there. It was just wonderful.
2: Well, what kind of equipment challenges do you have in a place like that?
1: Well, I took several cameras. I'm shooting with a a D2X as well as a D300. I've moved my D2X as a uh, backup camera. I'm really into the D300 and might even be looking at a D700 at some point, I guess. I haven't quite made that decision yet. I traveled with everything from a 10.5 fisheye to an 80 to 400 VR zoom lens. You know, Copious amounts of cards, a laptop as usual, downloading images every night. Took uh, two SB800s, a couple pocket wizards. I used the CLS method, whenever I can, use the onboard command with the uh, D300. But on those rare occasions when I'm working at greater distances, I'll pull out the pocket wizards in order to fire the small strobes.
2: So you didn't take any, like, heavy lighting gear this time, huh?
1: No, not at all. I don't <laughs> even own monolights. I got the big studio rig, the DynaLights, the DynaLights with six heads. Haven't cracked those out in over a year, quite honestly. Okay. I've been really just traveling with the SB-800s. My normal kit, when I'm not doing, uh, say, exploration-type work or industrial work way out in the boonies like I was up in the Arctic, I normally travel with about five SB-800s and various grip equipment, you know, tripods and stands and such, and modifiers, of course.
2: Well, what kind of modifiers are you using on your speedlights?
1: Well, I use everything from uh, shoot-through umbrellas to soft boxes and silk and obviously bounce techniques. These are all the kind of things that we discuss at the the workshop that I'm teaching. How to use your strobes properly and to get big results out of these small little strobes.
2: That's really interesting. Uh, One of the things that I remember about our first interview was how you you had been using a mix of higher-end studio lights with your portables now and then. So it sounds like a little bit of a shift in your approach. That's pretty cool.
1: It's been a complete switch. I don't think I've used my uh, studio strobes in well over a year.
2: Are you finding that it's just because it's more convenient or you're actually able to be more creative with the smaller lights?
1: Actually, I enjoy the challenge <laughs> uh, going out with a smaller light it keeps me sharp. You know, in most cases, when I'm shooting inside in particular, let's say for a hospital client, that's one of the things on my blog I had like uh, six days for a hospital up in Scotts Bluff and I'm shooting almost all inside and it doesn't require a lot of power to light a room and I'm using shallow depth of field and quite honestly, you end up taking these studio strobes or you're, you're trying to knock it down with neutral density filters in order to cut the power. You just don't need that kind of power. Nowadays, and of course, with the real clean files that we're getting with the new Nikon systems, the D300 and the D3, of course, the files are exceptionally clean at uh, high ISOs and when you start cranking up that ISO your speed lights become big bombers you don't have to carry those uh, studio strobes any longer.
2: That's a really good point what kind of ISOs are you talking about though David just for our audience to say how high should people be going without being too concerned for the the Well
1: I'll tell you what I I always start with my my cleanest file which would be the, the lowest that the camera manufacturer puts on it which would be the ISO 200 for the D300. Now I will start there and if I have to start moving up for whatever creative reasons, raising up the ISO, I have no problems with that D300 taking it up to 1,000. Wow. Actually 1,200. I've not seen a real problem with that. Normally, my images are not going larger than a full page, but it's so rare that I have to go 1,200. I, I mean, I probably at the highest, you know, on an average working job, if I have to crank something up, I might go 800. I mean, you just don't see anything. That's amazing. The Shadow there, So it's, it's terrific.
0: When you're shooting at a higher ISO like that, do you have any special things that you concern yourself with or that you really focus on doing to be able to pull out a a clean file at those higher ISOs?
1: I make sure that my shadows are not plugged up because that's where you're going to find most of your noises in the shadow area. But even still, I just don't see it around that 800 level. I think they're very clean files.
2: So let's walk through the process then real quick. You would position your lights and then choose an aperture for creative reasons?
1: Yes, for creative reasons. Let's say I'm shooting, in most cases, it's a person I'm photographing. And in most cases, I want to have a shallow depth of field so that I can isolate my subject matter from the background. You know, if I'm shooting with my 85 1.4, I can shoot wide open. I would prefer to do that because I like a nice, soft background. And so it doesn't take much light. If I stick my speed light inside of a soft box, for instance, it could be at one thirty-second power. Wow or even less than that, if the box is very close to my subject's face. So it really does not require a lot of power. And like I said, if I'd use studio strobes, I'd end up putting neutral density filters on those things until I don't know what. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So I just don't need the big strobes any longer.
2: That's really interesting. So you mentioned that you have a new camera and you switch your lighting gear somewhat. Have there been any other interesting purchases or additions to your gear bag lately that you're excited about?
1: No, I I really don't think so. I use the standard modifiers that I had with my studio stuff, and I just simply clamp my small strobes on the back of them. I use a softbox just like anybody would with a studio setup, but I use like a Justin clamp clamped onto the speed ring. That way the strobe is on the outside of the box shooting in, and it can still read the CLS impulse from the command unit or from the camera itself if I'm using the uh, D300. Okay. You know, if you have the strobes inside the box, then you're going to have a problem trying to use that CLS system because you have to have that line of sight in order for it to actually receive the signal from the uh, command unit.
2: Right. I remember reading in your blog, at one point this year, you purchased a Canon G9.
1: Oh, yeah. I was curious
2: what you thought of that camera. (laughs) Maybe for our audience, you could tell us.
1: I think it's the best snap and shoot I've ever owned, quite honestly. The files are absolutely gorgeous. at ISO 80 on that particular camera, as you start stepping up on ISO, you definitely do notice the noise. So I really try to shoot it down on that 80 ISO, their lowest setting. But what I like about it is it's very small and it also does video. And I shoot most of my videos of my setup using the G9. So that's really terrific to have.
2: Oh, okay. So you're using it for the video. That's that's really cool.
1: Oh yeah. It's just absolutely terrific.
2: Huh? It does a great job. I love watching the videos that you bring back from your shoots. It's-
1: Yeah, I've got about like 19 now up at YouTube.
2: That's great. You just posted one of an office corporate headshot, which is really straightforward and really informative. So I appreciate you doing that.
1: Yeah, no problem at all. I mean, you know, that shot that you're referring to or that blog post was dealt with one feed light used to light a portrait. I tried to pump it through this frosted glass that was in the conference room, but I found the quality of light going through that translucent or frosted glass was a little bit too hard, so I ended up putting up a panel, like a Calumet panel, up against the glass, which further diffused that Nikon SB800 speed light, so it softened the light beautifully on my subject, and it also shot past that panel and added a little bit of fill up against the back wall, so it was kind of doing double duty for me. It was providing not only the key light on my subject, but it was also providing a little bit of fill in the background.
2: I can see why you said it's a challenge.
1: (laughs) Well, it is a challenge, and it makes you think. You know, I've been doing this for like 25 years, and no matter what you do for a living, if you've done something for 25 years, sometimes it could be a job, no matter how much you love it. And I do love photography, no doubt. But having an added challenge, just going out with speedlight, changes my approach, and it really makes me think about how I'm going to solve a problem. I'm sort of handcuffing myself before I go in on a job you know i realize <laughs> that i have a limited amount of gear i know how much it will do and i have to tailor my shot around what it is that the equipment that i have with me what i can produce from it so it really keeps me sharp and i really like the challenge
0: that's great While we're still talking about equipment, David, you have a couple DIY posts that you've talked about, and one that really struck me as something that I think is very cool is you've done a beauty dish for the SB800.
1: Yes. I got that DIY project on a Flickr group from a couple of other individuals that had made the same sort of design. The only thing I did was I stuck a convex mirror that you would put on the side of a truck you know, mirror. I placed that up inside of the CD container to help distribute the light a little bit. Oh, I cool. Used, I used a terracotta. I have the whole thing listed up on my blog, one full detailed beauty dish, make-it-yourself project. And I used like a, a terracotta bowl that I got from Home Depot. I think they come in 14. And I think for the SB, I made one that was a 14-inch. And then I found one at Lowell's that was a, an 18-inch, which I adapted for a Q-Flash that I I picked up not too long ago an old used one. And it just takes a couple parts. It probably costs maybe less than 10 bucks to make. And the quality of the light is absolutely beautiful. The beauty dish, I've never owned one before, but I equate it sort of to, I don't play tennis. I've hit the ball a few times. And I know that when you hit a tennis ball just right, or what they call in the sweet spot, you know, you've hit it just right. There's a sweet spot with a beauty dish. At a specific distance it seems to really sing beautifully right and it's finding the right distance for the size of the dish that you have and i'm still working with that but it's actually i love it it's a, it's a beautiful little addition to the uh, lighting arsenal
0: the shots you have out there are beautiful with it
1: oh yeah absolutely incredible i just love it i have uh, on my my lighting workshop page there's a photograph of a gentleman that's shot with four sb 800s and the key light on him is the Beauty Dish out of the SB-800, and it's really a cool shot. Bright yellow background, side kickers on either side of them.
0: I do remember seeing that. It was your assistant Ian is on there, I believe, oh, or an it's intern. on Ian. my
1: blog, but it's not on the Small Strobes Big Results website. But it is on my blog, and it's the very first picture on it. And the uh, model's name is Oscar. He's wearing a green shirt, yellow wall. That's a, that's a great shot. I love that.
2: So you found application for the beauty dish in some of your corporate assignments?
1: As a matter of fact, I did use it for a corporate assignment. Last week, I had to photograph an older lady out by a high mountain lake, and I used it on a uh, Q flash on a boom directly out in front of her. And I, that's the first time I've actually used it on a corporate assignment. That's very cool. Yeah, it's great. <laughs>
0: Now, you have another DIY one that you had also. You were using a ring flash that you had built.
1: Yes, I made a ring flash with it. I have used it a couple times. I'm actually looking at buying a commercially made one. There is a new one that was listed on uh, Strobist. Not much mentioned about it, but it's coming out this August. I think it's called Orbis. And I don't know if you've seen that particular website. They have pre-sales coming up. It looks interesting. I think I like the idea better than the Ray Flash, which is out there currently available. The Ray Flash, I think, is around $300, and it attaches with your flash directly on your hot shoe, on your camera, and I think there's too much weight on the uh, hot shoe, on the body of the camera, and I just don't like the idea that you have to mount it up against your hot shoe like that. The Orbis one that I have seen that's coming out shortly made out of like an ABS plastic. I don't know what the efficiency is. I don't know how much light is lost on it. But it's something that you can really hand-hold, just cramming your flash up into it and then placing it right over your lens. And then you you can use CLS with it, which is just terrific. I I think it's going to be a nice flash. I need to take a a better look at it when it does finally come out.
0: I think a lot of people will be curious to see when that one hits as well. On your blog, you had a post in May of this year. It was titled, Buddy, Have You Got a Strobe? and it was one where you had taken apart an old flash and used it for a cigarette lighting shot.
1: <laughs> yes. I bought that strobe probably 20 years ago. One of these, like, It was like a Honeywell, one of these really cheap, tiny little strobes that you would find in a garage sale. And I took it apart one day, and I just had the little tiny flash tube, and I put about, I don't know, about 10 feet, 8 feet of wire to continue the connection to it. So I had like eight feet of wire attached just to the flash tube and I could slide it right between my fingers. And I think the post you're referring to is there's a picture of me actually, it it appears as though I'm lighting my cigar. I actually, I mean, that strobe was so bright. I had to to cover that up with so many napkins. You couldn't believe it. It was very, very (laughs) powerful. Oh, that's great. And I could just fit it right between my two fingers and run the wires up the back of my, my hand. And it was just so small, and I thought, well, I might as well go ahead and do a little post about this thing. I really hadn't used it anywhere. It's a great little tool to put inside of, like, a candle, like a tabletop candle. Oh, that's a great gonna idea. Like a, if you're going to do, like, a dining shot, you can place it right inside of a little candle voltage kind of thing and light the table that way. It's a lot of little interesting things. I mean, nowadays, you've got the Morris Minis, which are not so small, actually, or mini. <laughs> they are pretty large. This is very small. This is just a flash tube that measures about a half inch wide by about an inch and a half at the most. This is one of those really cheap strobes. Buy- <laughs> honestly.
2: but it, it seems like you get, get a lot of really creative uses out of that, though. You're right.
1: Yeah, you can do a lot of different things with it, and it's a nice thing to have in a drawer where you try to find applications to use it because it's unique. People want to know, how did you do that? Where's the light light coming from? So it's a lot of fun.
0: Real quick before we leave that one, did you have any concerns with voltage with holding that or or heat that that thing generates? No, I really
1: really didn't. Uh, All the wires are insulated really well with electrical tape. I had some comments on my blog saying, oh, you got to be careful with that. Don't get yourself shocked or anything. And, <laughs> you know, yeah,
0: I probably zap myself.
1: Yeah, I probably zap myself too, but I have never have really. I mean, it's covered up really well and I felt quite comfortable doing so. And it's never been an issue, quite honestly. <laughs>
2: Good thing. Well, now, David, we talked a little bit before the interview about some of the things that you have coming up in the future that I think are really exciting because it sounds like you're going to be sharing some of your knowledge. With other people, how can people get an education from you besides just your blog?
1: Well, I'll tell you, a lot of things have changed this year. I've been asked by Santa Fe Photographic Workshops down in Santa Fe, New Mexico to teach this year. I'll be uh, teaching a one-week workshop entitled uh, Small Strobes Big Results. That's going to be in late March. I think it's March 28th through April 4th. I'll be doing that with the Santa Fe workshops. i am also uh, been accepted as a, a mentor for the uh, Mentor Series through Popular Photography and American Photo, and I have my first trek February 18th through the 22nd, and that is going to take place out in Death Valley, California, and I'll be sharing that trek with Bill Durance, a very fine photographer who does nature work. And I've also started my own lighting workshops, also called Small Strobes Big Results. They're held here in Denver or have the last two. I have another one, October 11th, going to be down in Arlington, Texas. I've had a lot of response from people on my blog wanting me to come down to Texas, so I am uh, working with a gentleman down there that's a firefighter. We have the largest fire department uh, location in Arlington. Uh, It's just adjacent to their training facility, which will allow for a lot of interesting locations to photograph. We'll be holding a one-day Small Strobes Big Results workshop there in Arlington on October 11th. And then also uh, been asked by a group of people to come out to Indianapolis November 10th. That's going to be a Monday. There'll be a one-day small strobes, big results in Indianapolis. More information about that can be found on the when and where section of the website. That's terrific. Yeah, see. What else? I'm also going to be teaching for the main photographic workshops. I don't have a date just yet, but it's going to be a similar type of uh, lighting experience. It's going to be location lighting light and compact is I think what the title is going to be. I have a very nice article. I hope it's very nice (laughs) Uh, coming out in range finder. I guess this next issue coming out is going to be the lighting issue. And there's going to be a feature article written about me about the small strobes and what I'm doing with them. And I'm looking forward to seeing that article in range finder.
2: Congratulations! That sounds really exciting. Thank
1: you. Thanks very much. A lot of things have changed this last year.
2: Yeah, I would say certainly since the last time we spoke, you're really beginning to be a, quite a resource for photographers, and that's that's terrific. So,
1: well, I love teaching, and it's a lot of fun. And I sh- kind of shared with you before the interview. I had a, a comment left on my blog by Bob Christ, who's uh, most people know as a National Geographic photographer, and I was actually shocked to see his name on my blog, that he actually read my blog. I mean, <laughs> I was I was quite amazed, and I'm a big fan of Bob's. And I went ahead and looked him up and called him up and asked if he was really the Bob Chris that left the comment on my blog, and he said he was. And we just had a wonderful half-hour conversation talking about uh, corporate photography, which is where his start kind of was at. He did a lot of corporate work as well as uh, work with National Geographic. And oh. he loved watching the videos and such, and uh, he was actually... Uh, very instrumental in getting me in contact with Maine photographic and uh, the mentor series. And got to thank Bob for that. And you don't know who's actually reading your blog. I've actually picked up jobs from clients who actually read my blog.
2: That's uh, really interesting.
1: I've picked up two assignments and I don't write specifically looking for jobs. I know it's a good way to get jobs. At least I do now because I've actually received jobs <laughs> job and I might start directing some of my writing towards that end result of looking for clients, but that's not the reason why I do the blog. I really like teaching and I like sharing the information. I've had 25 years of the most wonderful career that anybody could ever imagine, and there's no reason why others shouldn't enjoy the career and the lifestyle like I've had. I'm just very fortunate to have had all the wonderful experiences that I've had, and why not share that information? I don't feel threatened by anybody sharing it I'm a very open person, and why not do that? I enjoy it. It's a lot of fun.
2: Well, well, we certainly appreciate you sharing with us tonight, and it was great catching up with you.
1: I appreciate visiting with both of you. Thanks so much.
2: Well, that's all we have for this episode of LightSource, the brightest podcast on the Internet. Be sure to check out the show notes for this episode and all the other LightSource episodes at the website studiolighting.net.
0: And you can also send us an email comment at studiolighting at gmail.com when you can send us comments, questions, or just images that you'd like us to see. And if you really want to
2: get involved with some of the other listeners to the show, you can head over to the LightSource Flickr group at www.flickr.com slash groups slash LightSource. You can post your images and get feedback on your photography as well as seeing the things that we're taking
0: pictures of and as always if you missed any of these links our quick outro here you can find all of that and more at www.studiolighting.net till next time bye bye